Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening in. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to give a Bible answer. We have a lot of people who claim to give a Bible answer to Bible questions on the radio and in other places, but they don't actually give a Bible answer. And we had a good illustration of this. One of our callers said that Hank Hanegraaff, who's known on the airways as the Bible Answer Man, was asked if Noah's flood was global or local. In other words, did the flood cover the whole earth, or was it just a local flood to the area that Noah lived in? And Hank Hanegraaff, he's supposed to be the Bible Answer Man, he said the flood was local. He said the flood was local. But what does the Bible say about that? Does the Bible teach that it was local or global? Well, Genesis 7, 19-20 reads this way from the uh, English Standard Version. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Now, that passage says that the water, waters prevailed so mightily that all the high mountains, not just some of them, but all the high mountains, and not just the little hills, but all the high mountains under the whole heaven, not just in the local area where Noah lived, but under the whole heaven were covered. And then Genesis 8, verse 9 says, this is after the rains have stopped, and when Noah sent out a dove, this verse says, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth, then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into him under the ark. And so the waters were over the face of the whole earth, according to Genesis 8, verse 9. Now, Hank Hanegraaff, according to this caller, I didn't actually hear him say it. He's supposed to be the Bible answer man. He was asked, was the flood global, meaning cover the whole earth or local? He said local. But these two verses say that it covered the whole earth, that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered by the water. You see how Mr. Hanegraaff, if that's really the way he answered the question, he's not giving a Bible answer to the Bible question. He's giving his opinion that the flood was local when the Bible answer is what the Bible actually says about Noah's flood is that it was global. It covered the whole earth and all, not some, but all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. We use that as an illustration to illustrate how that people who claim to give a Bible answer actually just give you their own answer from their own human reasoning sometimes instead of actually giving what the Bible says. On this program, we plan to actually give you what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what Patrick Donahue thinks or how, what he wants it to be, the answer to the question, how he would like it to be, makes no difference. The authority is God's word. And so you, if you ask a Bible question, we're going to give you what God said is the answer, what the Bible says, not what we think or not what we want it to be. Let me illustrate it with another issue. What is the Bible answer regarding how often congregations should eat the Lord's Supper? Well, here's what the, a Catholic book, the legislation on the sacraments and the new code of canon law says. It says, in the beginning, Mass was celebrated only once a week, then three or four times, and finally in the 5th or 6th century, every day. So their answer to the question about how often we should partake of the Lord's Supper, the communion, they call it Mass, was 
It started out being once a week, but it changed gradually over to every day. Hmm, is that a Bible answer? They didn't give you a Bible verse to prove that. That's just their answer. Most churches don't do it nearly once a day or even once a week. They do it once a month or once every quarter. But here's what the Bible says in Acts 20, verse 7, a pretty simple verse, I might add. It says that upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continue to speech until midnight. So this verse teaches us that those disciples, ones we're supposed to be trying to emulate, came together on the first day of the week to break bread, that is, eat the Lord's Supper, to have communion, and had preaching. Now, if we're trying to follow the Bible, we're trying to follow this verse, how often are we going to eat the Lord's Supper? How often is that congregation going to partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, that's easy to answer. How often does the first day of the week roll around? Once a week. You see how that's the Bible answer to the question, not what the Catholic Church said, eating the Lord's Supper every day, no, the Bible says upon the first day of the week. That's once a week. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. What is the Bible answer regarding the scripturalness of swearing? Now, we're not talking about cussing. We're talking about swearing. Like what's done in the court of law, they said they say, that you put your hand on a Bible, as I understand it, and they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So you are asked to swear. A lot of times when you ask somebody something and you question them, they'll say, I swear it is true. A lot of people who, who claim to be believers have no clue that the Bible actually talks about swearing in the Bible because preachers, most preachers, just skip over those passages that talk about swearing. But here's what Wikipedia says about Matthew 5.34. Most Christian churches believe that only false and vain oaths are prohibited. John Calvin argued that only oaths counter to God are wrong. But let's look at the passages about swearing. Matthew 5.33 and 34 says, again, and this is Jesus speaking, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, and so forth. Swear not at all was what Jesus said. Not that only false and vain oaths are prohibited. Not that only oaths counter to God are wrong, but swear not at all. We can read something similar in James 5.12. It says, but above all things, now this must be important because it says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, Neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now ask yourself this question. In the church where you attend, when is the last time you heard the preacher even talk about swearing? Now we're not talking about cussing, we're talking about swearing. Like in a court of law, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Where the preacher where you attend even talked about swearing, much less quoted these verses saying that we should not swear at all, that we should swear not swear by any oath. That's how you answer a Bible question. If somebody asks you if swearing is scriptural, you don't say, well, it, there is wrong a lot of the times, but there are many exceptions. You say what Jesus says, swear not at all. You say don't swear by this, that, or any other oath. That's what the Bible answers the question is. So when they asked you to swear in a court of law, or you think about swearing at any other time, don't do it. Jesus said, don't do it. 
That's the Bible answer to the question. That's how we answer Bible questions with Bible answers is by actually giving you what the text of the Bible say in answer to the question that's being asked. Not just what we think, not just how we want it to be. Again, the number to call is 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. 877-655-6755. You know, in connection to this question last week, uh, how do you give a Bible answer? What does that mean to give a Bible answer? We were talking about once saved, always saved. And what is the Bible answer to that question? Is it true that once a person becomes a Christian, he can't be lost no matter how he lives? That's evidently what most, if not all, Baptists teach. Sam Morris, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Stanford, Texas, said, I think back in the 1940s, and I quote, A Christian's sins do not condemn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer. And get this, and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. Now that was Sam Mars, the famous Baptist preacher's answer to the question, can a Christian fall from grace? But is that the Bible answer? We looked at a couple of passages last week, Galatians 5.4, James 5.19 and 20. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus speaking says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So Jesus says if we overcome, he will not blot out our name out of the book of life. What's the book of life? That's the list of the names of all the saved people. So if your name's in the book of life, that means you're saved. And then if it gets blotted out, that means you're not saved anymore. You can't get blotted out of the book of life unless you're in there to start with. So that means you were saved to start with in the book of life, and then you get your name blotted out. You're not saved anymore. So the Bible teaches here clearly then that we must overcome temptation in order to keep our name from being blotted out of the book of life, in order to keep from losing our salvation. Sam Morris doesn't give you a Bible answer. Jesus does in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Johnny from Spokane, Washington. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Oh, yeah, I was just going to ask you what name did God write eight times in the Ten Commandments with his own finger that he handed down to Moses? Well, in verse 2, he says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then in verse 5, he says, I, the Lord thy God, are a jealous God. Verse 7, he says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So that's what actually the scriptures say. Margie from Tulsa, Oklahoma, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Um, How do you feel about people replacing uh, the uh, Bible that we used to carry to Sunday school and church and also preach out of it 
how do you feel about that being replaced by wireless devices like iPads and, and cell phones now? I think it's fine. I usually carry around, uh, well, almost always, a paper Bible the old-fashioned way, but have no problem with what the young people are doing and carrying around the Bible on their phone or iPads, as you say. Uh, it's the same Bible. It's the same words as long as they're have a, a good and accurate translation on that electronic device. It's the same thing as being on paper, yet many times it's more convenient. If they have that iPad, not only can they read the scriptures as, say, the preacher's preaching and look it up, check the sermon like they ought to, Acts 17, verse 11, but they might even run a quick concordance search on a word, and you couldn't do that with just a paper Bible, but you can with electronic Bible. So I have no problem with it. The Bible, the words and the message, what the Bible actually says is important. It doesn't matter what kind of paper it's written on or what the color of the ink is or how it's bound. That doesn't make any difference. It's God's Word either way. What do you think, Margie? Well, I think that if you would look up uh, some science, you would find out that um, the government way back in 1971 did a study on non-thermal microwave radiation and that the radiation that comes off of all wireless devices as it was determined in the National Toxicology Program, a study that went on from 2000 to 2016, a $30 million study, the question being, do cell phones cause cancer or other mm -hmm. wireless devices, too? Yeah, Margie, the answer this... came up, that cell phones cause glioma brain tumors and glioma heart tumors. Hey, yeah. Margie, this is a Bible program that maybe you ought to uh, call in a science program and talk about what the... Uh problems with radiation with electronic devices here. What we're talking about here is the Bible, and that's what we're interested in. What well, does the Bible actually say? You know, last week, we were talking about uh, does a person have to be baptized to be saved as part of our lesson, how to give a Bible answer. And we quoted from Ben Bogard, the famous Baptist debater. This is a proposition he signed to affirm. The scriptures teach that the sinner obtains remission of his sins in answer to prayer before baptism. But we know that's not true that the sinner obtains remission of sins in answer to prayer before he's baptized. We can demonstrate that by looking at the conversion of Saul. I'm looking in Acts chapter 9 verses 4 through 6. The Lord appears to Saul on the road to Damascus and says in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he, now we're talking about Saul, said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. It shall be told thee what thou must do. So obviously Saul believed in Jesus. He said, Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He says, What we have me to do? So Saul believed in the Lord Jesus. He was told to go in the city. It would be told him what to do. And in the meantime, Jesus, God, told Ananias to go and tell Saul what to do. In that same chapter, verse 11, he's talk, the Lord's talking to Ananias. He says, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire into the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Now, Saul of Tarsus has believed in Jesus, verses 4 through 6, and he's praying. According to this Baptist position, Ben Bogard, the fam famous Baptist debater, he should have been saved at that point because he said the sinner obtains remission of his sins in answer to prayer before baptism. And here we have Saul believing in Christ and praying 
Acts chapter 9. But was he forgiven of his sins at that point? No. Three days later, when Ananias comes to Saul, he tells him in verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Saul's a believer. Saul is praying. And Ananias says, What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Mr. Bogard, the Baptist debater, the Baptist position is he would have been saved because he believed and he prayed. But the man of God said, why are you waiting? He's praying. He says, what you waiting on? Get up and be baptized and wash away thy sins. So his sins weren't washed away when he believed. His sins weren't washed away in answer to prayer after he believed. But three days later when he got baptized, that's when his sins were washed away. So Mr. Bogart's not giving us a Bible answer. When he says the scriptures teach that the sinner obtains remission of his sins in answer to prayer before baptism, it didn't happen like that at all with Saul. No, he believed, he prayed, he wasn't forgiven till after that when he was baptized. That's the, how you give a Bible answer to the question, what must a sinner do in order to be saved? Does he have to be baptized to be saved? Hector from New Jersey. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, how you doing, sir? Um, I just wanted to ask a question because I have a friend that believes in God, but he doesn't believe in the Bible. Well, let me ask you this. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Does your friend believe in Jesus Christ? No, he does not. And so, since Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father but by him, even though he believes in God like a Jew or like a Muslim, they believe in God, but they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said nobody can come to him except through him. And he said, he said something similar in John eight twenty four. He says, and Jesus is speaking again. He says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Does that answer your question, Hector, about this friend you have that doesn't believe in Jesus? Yeah, and I wanted to ask another question. He had also told me that the Bible's been rewritten by man. And and you that a man's heart is wicked and you can't trust a man. Uh, yeah. Now he's wrong about that. The Bible was written by God, revealed through men, and then it was translated into different languages. So it's translated to English from the original Hebrew and Greek. So we can read it, Hector, if we know English and don't know Hebrew and Greek. So he was wrong about that. Mark from Wyoming, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir, how you doing? Um, I want to know what the purpose of Jesus being baptized was for. Well, it wasn't for the same purpose as we are baptized. I'm looking at Matthew 3, verse 14. Jesus is coming to John the Baptist, and Jesus is he- I mean, John is hesitant about baptizing Jesus. He says, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto them, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh to us to fulfill all righteousness. So the reason Jesus was baptized was to fulfill righteousness. And we can be baptized for that reason. But see, Jesus is not going to be baptized for the remission of sins like Acts 2.38 tells us to be baptized for, because Jesus had no sin. He didn't need to be baptized for that reason. He had no sin. So if we could find a person today that had never sinned, we could say, well, they don't need to get baptized either because baptism 
It's for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. As we saw in Acts 22.16, that's when our sins are washed away. But if we don't have any sins, we don't need to get baptized. We're like Jesus. We don't need our sins washed away. We don't have any. Can you? Is there anybody else you know like that, Mark? No, because uh, uh, my thought is that uh, he was baptized. The only thing I can think of the reason would be for those that got saved and it's like on a deathbed or something and can't be baptized. Since he comes in them when they're saved, maybe that he was baptized for them or something like that. Or I don't know. Well, Matthew 3.15, he says, Suffer it to be so now. He's asking to be baptized. He says, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So the reason Jesus was baptized, according to the text, was to fulfill all righteousness. He can't be baptized for someone else. You know, say you're talking about like someone on their deathbed. Let me read to you a passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. You still there, Mark? Yeah. That passage says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So this is talking about the judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ, Mark, and it says that we're going to be judged based upon the things that we did, the things that we have done in our body, meanwhile we were alive, but not based upon something that somebody else did. And so you can't get baptized for somebody else Everybody is responsible for their own sins and for obeying the Lord themselves. Make sense, Mark? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I just uh, when it says to fill all righteousness, I still don't understand what what's he talking about. What righteousness did well, Jesus have to fulfill? Well, it's a good thing. It's a right thing to be baptized, even though he didn't have any sins to be baptized to get rid of. It's a right thing to do to be baptized. And so he wanted to fulfill all righteousness, do the right thing to set the proper example. Mark, appreciate your call. I want to tell Mark and everybody else about my new website. My friend Shane Pack has created a really nifty-looking website at BibleCrossFire.com. There, if you if you want to send me an email to ask me a Bible question or make a comment, even a little friendly arguing about the Bible, that's fine. You go to that website, you can send me uh, an email. It tells you how to do it right there at the website. Uh, I'm thinking of what else you can do there. You can sign up to subscribe to a podcast. And that basically means if you subscribe, that every time I do one of these programs after it's over, and when Shane puts it on the website, it will automatically download the program onto your phone or whatever or your computer so you can listen to it. You can go to that website and sign up for a free online Bible correspondence course. You just go to that website, click on the button that says that, and you can fill out, I think it's eight different lessons called Jesus the Way and fill out a Bible correspondence course. It helps you learn the Bible. You can listen to old programs, archives, programs of a year ago or two years ago. All kinds of things you can get at. You can even listen to this program live. Let's say you're at home and not in your car. You don't have Sirius XM uh, at home. It's just in your car or wherever you're, whatever radio station you're listening to. You don't have it available to it, but you have available to the Internet on your phone or computer. You can go to this website and listen to the program live via the Internet. All of that you can do. And the name of the website is BibleCrossFire.com. Again, my friend Shane Pack has gone to a lot of trouble to make this thing work really well. It looks really nice, too. That's BibleCrossFire.com. 
go there. All of these callers and everybody else, I would encourage you to go there. Send me a Bible question or comment. Let's talk about the Bible throughout the week. Throughout the week. And uh, we can't do that here. We only have 30 minutes. But we could talk about it over email to your heart's content. Uh, let me read you a couple of verses before we go off the air on more on baptism. Uh, we're trying to show that baptism is necessary to be saved. Well, Jesus said in John 3, 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's obviously born of water. Some water baptism, you have to do it to enter into the kingdom of God. I mentioned how Jesus, Peter said in Acts two thirty eight, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That shows the purpose of water baptism. For the remission of sins. And then 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism doth also now save us. Now that's not saying that baptism earns our salvation. No, the death of Christ, the blood of Christ is what earns our salvation. This is simply saying, when it says baptism saves us, is that baptism is an absolutely necessary condition that you have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. This is how you answer the Bible question, does a person have to be baptized to be saved? These verses say yes. Go to BibleCrossFire.com and send me an email. Appreciate you listening.